the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Folks, welcome again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour uh, right here on AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We're glad you're with us. And uh, we're looking forward to a great hour. Uh, our engineer, Jeff Sennis, he does it all. Andrew Herdliska is the producer. And I want to introduce you to Keith Simon. Uh, he's in Columbia, Missouri. His book is out, Truth Over Tribe, Pledging Allegiance to the Lamb, Not the Donkey or the Elephant. Uh, love the title, Keith. Welcome to Orlando. How are you? Man, I'm having a great day. Thanks for having me, Pat. I think Christians are interested in trying to follow Jesus more than the political tribes that have been grabbing our attention for the last few years. Well, Keith, your introduction to the book is called Tribalism is Wrecking Your Life. Uh, What does that mean? Well, I think tribalism is making us more anxious, more it's tearing apart our families, it's tearing apart our churches, it's hindering our relationship with Jesus. Somehow, these political parties have convinced us that putting them first and caring more about our politics than our Savior is somehow good for us. But we know that's for sure not true. You open your book, part one is called How Tribalism Hurts You. And uh, and then you go on to write about these topics. Tribalism ruins your relationship. Tribalism makes you anxious. Tribalism incentivizes inauthenticity. Tribalism creates your enemies, and tribalism blinds you. Uh, you're going to have to unravel all that for us, uh, Keith. Well, let me do it by telling a story, Pat. Okay. I have a good friend who went to a family reunion. Now, I don't know about you, but I avoid family reunions. <laughs> I figure if I haven't seen you in 20 years, there's a reason I haven't. But <laughs> she went with her husband to a family reunion, and this is back in 2016. And I don't think her experience was uncommon. Uh, somebody at the family reunion talked about how they were going to vote for then-candidate Trump to become president, and someone else declared that they were a never-Trumper. And they got into a big argument at this family reunion. Now, normally that would have just ended there and everybody would have forgotten about it before the next one. But because of Facebook, we can keep our arguments going forever now, which I guess some people might think is a good idea. I think it's a pretty bad idea. So they went back to their hometowns throughout the country, and they continued to argue about the election. It got to a point where, and this is a good friend of mine, remember, so this is all true, that people were boycotting each other's weddings and that one young father had an aggressive form of brain cancer. He died, and people who disagreed with his politics wouldn't even show up at his funeral. 
And I just don't think that's the kind of world that we want to live in, because what's happening there is politics is driving people apart. It's also fracturing churches, and people are starting to pick their churches, and not based on the Bible or their love for Jesus or their love for their community, but now in, they're making those choices based on whether they are Team Red or Team Blue. And I, I, I think that is really hurting us as Christians, hurting the church. So what do we do about it? Well, I mean, I think there's a lot that we need to do about it. The, the first step for Christians is to recognize that Jesus is king, that, that he doesn't want to be president, that he has a better throne than the Oval Office offers, that he doesn't want a four-year term. He's the eternal king. And when we realize that Jesus is king, then we can put into a proper order politics. Because politics are important. I don't want anybody to think that it's wrong to be a Republican or a Democrat. It's not wrong to care about politics, but it is wrong to put too much emphasis on them. When we realize that Jesus is king, then we can start to say, okay, well, I can put my politics down on the list of priorities. And when we do that, there's a certain kind of peace that comes. We don't get so wrapped up in the horse race of who's winning and who's losing in Washington, D.C., and I, I think that's a huge first step, but it's not the only step. I, I think another thing we need to do is build bridges to people who are different than us, who are people who, who vote differently or think differently or look differently than we do. Because when we start to know those people, we realize that, that they might be wrong. I mean, they really might be wrong, but they're not wicked. That Trump supporter you don't like, he serves at a homeless shelter. And that progressive Democrat that you think is ruining the world, well, that's the family that brought you a meal when you had a child. So you start realizing that we have more in common than maybe we uh, first realized. And maybe part of what we need to do, Pat, is spend a little less time arguing on social media, because social media is created to stoke anxiety, fear, anger, because that's the way we stay on their platform. And the way they make money is keeping our eyeballs on their platform. So they are, their profit motive is designed to do things that actually make us miserable. My guest is Keith Simon. <clears throat> We're talking about his book, Truth Over Tribe. Uh, there is one chapter in part one that I want you to uh, expand on. Uh, sure. It's the chapter called Tribalism Blinds You. Uh, what do you think happens here, Keith? Well, here's the thing, is that we are wired to be tribal. In other words, we're wired to have people who are like us and agree with us, and we want to have people who are on our team. And so what that leads to sometimes is giving people on our team a path. So here, here's a, 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 an example of that. Now, I, I just will admit up front that I leaned more toward the conservatives. I don't necessarily uh, uh, consider myself a Republican or a Democrat, but I, I definitely lean conservative. And I noticed that in, when Bill Clinton was president, that there were a lot of conservatives who were very upset with his moral character, who said things like, he is a bad example for kids, and he should resign because of the inappropriate relationship he had with uh, an intern. But then I watched those same people who were shocked by the immorality of President Clinton, 
not be so shocked, in fact, support the immorality of a future candidate. And so what I think happens is, is that tribalism blinds you to being able to see things as they really are. They cause you to compromise your convictions. And, you know, that's dangerous. When we start compromising our convictions based on our political party, when we stop caring about immorality as long as our team is winning, that's a really dangerous sign that we've made politics into something that Jesus never intended it to be. Keith Simon is our guest. We're talking about his book, Truth Over Tribe. Part two of your book, uh, the first part is how tribalism hurts you. We've covered that. Now, part two, why we're tribal. And Mm -hmm. Keith, you get into interesting topics, why your brain is tribal, why your Facebook feed is tribal, why your personal truth is tribal, why your community is tribal. Uh, It's all yours. Yeah, I think we are wired for tribalism. In other words, we are hardwired by God to seek out people who agree with us. Now, I think the way God designed it is that we would all be part of his tribe. But we know that when sin enters the world and sin enters our heart, that all of a sudden the things that were once good can now be turned and used for evil. And so here's an example. I, I Hope I can do it justice. Uh, we explained this a little bit more in the book, but there is a, a drug called oxytocin. And what that drug does is it releases dopamine into our body. And that dopamine is what makes us feel a sense of pleasure. So that's what happens when we, uh, when maybe a new mom looks at her baby or the baby looks at mom. They, they have this release of oxytocin, uh, this dopamine hit. Well, scientists said, well, why can't we just give everybody dopamine and maybe we'll all love each other? And so they did a research study where they had a control group that they did not give dopamine and, uh, or oxytocin and another group that they did. And what they found is that oxytocin and dopamine help us love people like us, but it actually causes us to dislike more intensely people who are different than us. So sin has come in and corrupted us so that instead of being a part of God's tribe, we've now made these human tribes that have rivalries with other human tribes. And, you know, maybe those are political or maybe they're racial or maybe they're economic or maybe it's something like sports teams, Pat. You know how there's all kinds of rivalries there. But that is the, 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 the hard wiring that we all have. And now we've got to figure out how to undo it. Um, now, th- there are, like I said earlier, there are a lot of social media companies who prey upon our tribalism, who, who, who stoke fear and anxiety about the other side. You know, Donald Trump and CNN and The New York Times, they looked like they were enemies at odds with each other. But really, they were business partners, because the more CNN and The New York Times talked about uh, President Trump, the, the more that the su- subscribers they got. And so when President Trump went out of office, you saw CNN's uh, viewership go way down. So they look like they're at odds, but really they're business partners. They almost need each other. And unfortunately, the way they promote themselves is to create more fear and anxiety in our heart. So turning off cable news could be a great step toward experiencing a little bit more peace in your life. (laughs) I know exactly what you mean. 
there, <laughs> there were times back in the last election when I would watch all night long and go yeah. to bed angry and upset, troubled. Uh, and finally, yes. at some point, I said, you know, this is not good. This is not good. And I just, <laughs> I just stopped cold turkey. And, uh, well, and did you, did that help you? Oh, it, oh, absolutely. Without question. Uh, I was not, yeah. I was not constantly angry and upset and troubled, you know, and I was a, I was a Fox guy, uh, yeah. st- starting about, uh, eight o'clock from eight till 11 or 1130, uh, nonstop. And, uh, oh boy, it, uh, it finally, well, we, we know how. The, the, the saying in media that if it bleeds, it leads because bad news is what sells. And uh, it's not new. It's something that's been around a really long time. And what sells is controversy. What sells are to get two talking heads from different opinions and have them arguing with each other. What sells is what I call nut picking, where there's always somebody on the other side, the side you don't agree with, who's a nut. And what you do is you go find the nut. And then you say, look, all Republicans are like this nut or all Democrats are like this nut. Well, that's not true. I mean, if you know Democrats and Republicans, if you know people on the other side of the aisle, you know that they're good people. Again, they might be wrong. It's okay to want to persuade them that you're right. It's okay to go into the voting booth and vote your convictions. What's not okay is to demonize the other side. And yet that's how cable news and, and traditional media and social media make their money. Well, Keith, we're, uh, we're rolling right along. Um, by the way, uh, how do you want people to respond to this book of yours? What, what, what's your hope here? Well, I think that's a great question. And uh, the, my main concern in this book is not uh, anything other than church. In other words, I, I, I would love to, Jesus bring healing to the world, but I think the way that starts is bringing healing in the church. So I, I live in a blue dot in the middle of a red state. Columbia, Missouri is very blue. It's where the University of Missouri is, but surrounding us is just a sea of political red. And what that means is that we have been uh, given a very politically diverse community, and I am a pastor at a very politically diverse church. And I think there's something remarkable that says that Jesus is king and that people who vote differently can come and worship him because they've found something better in Jesus than, than what divides them between their political rivals. And I think that's a, a sign to the world that if you want healing from the fractured world, if you want unity in place of division, here's the opportunity, but it's only found in Jesus because what the world has is not unifying. It's not healing. And, and, and yet the church, if the church becomes more like the world, then we've lost our opportunity. But the church, if it can unify around Jesus and show that we can have people who are black and white, Latina and Asian, and we can have people who are blue and red and people from all different backgrounds. And, and I, I think then that the world can go, wow, there's something powerful in Jesus that has the ability to heal our world. So that's my heart, is that Christians would put their faith in Christ over their political uh, uh, leanings. That's why we call it pledging allegiance to the lamb, not the donkey or the elephant. Keith Simon is our guest. We have another segment with Keith. We're talking about his book, Truth Over Tribe. Uh, 
And uh, folks, just a reminder, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We gather like this every weekend right here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. And we're always so pleased when you join us. And when we come back, uh, we're going to dig in with Keith, part three, how to leave tribalism behind. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Now, here's Pat. This is Pat Williams, and this is the Saturday Power Hour. We're so glad you're with us. Keith Simon is our guest. And Keith, part three, how to leave tribalism behind. And here are the topics I, I want you to get into. You, your journey toward Eden. You show generosity and kindness. You pledge allegiance to Jesus. You admit when you don't know. You cross tribal lines. You listen. You join an ex- inclusive tribe. Uh, tell us more. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, I have the opportunity to pastor a church of people who are just fantastically generous. And one of the ways that we've wanted to leave tribalism behind is show that generosity, not just to people like us, but to people who are just in need, people who are different than us. So a couple years ago, we uh, started an Easter giving campaign, and we looked around and said, okay, who in our community needs help? And what we recognized is that there were a lot of people with medical debt that was crushing them, causing bankruptcies, people to lose their houses, So we just said, we're going to try to raise a little bit of money to pay off all the medical debt in our county. And we partnered with this great group called RIP, or Rest in Peace Medical Debt. And so we thought if we raised a little bit, we could pay our county. Our church gave in the period of like 10 days. They gave $465,000, and we were able to pay off millions and millions of dollars of medical debt, not just in our county, but in 38 counties around our state. And these are for medical debt of people who are made uh, uh, just under the poverty line. So what we did is when we sent out that letter with our partner, we were able to say, we paid off your medical debt because Jesus paid off our debt for us. And guess what? We didn't ask if you voted for Team Red or Team Blue. We didn't ask uh, what your gender is or how old you were, what generation you belong to, what your race is, if you consider yourself straight or gay. All we said is, do you have a need? And if you had a need, we tried to meet that need of, of helping you pay off your debt. And that's because Jesus paid off a debt for us. He paid off our debt of sin. And when he came, he didn't ask us if we were red or blue or what race we were. He just said, who has a need? And then he met our need on the cross. So we want to meet other people's needs. And what we have found is when we focus our church on meeting people's needs in the name and love of Jesus, that gives a sense of unity and a sense of purpose. And it causes people on the outside of our church, outside of Christianity, to look and start paying attention. And so we've had people come to our church. We've had people say, I can't believe someone did this for me. No one has has, has done anything like this. And you don't even know me. You're a stranger. And we say, well, yeah, but we were strangers when Jesus came and died for us. We were his enemies when he loved us. So we're trying to model in our community the kind of love that Jesus showed us. So we think generosity, radical generosity, is a way to uh, bring an end to tribalism. 
I want you to uh, expand uh, on this last point you make. You join an inclusive tribe. Yes. What, what does that mean? I think that's a yeah. I think it's a great one. Is that um, remember what I said a little bit earlier that we are all kind of hardwired to be tribal, and God's intention was that we would all be part of His tribe. So I don't think we can not be a part of a tribe. We're always going to be looking for people to belong to, to people who we can believe with and work together with. But the key is, is where do we direct that energy and those longings for a tribe? And I think the way we are created is that we are to direct those toward Jesus. In other words, Jesus has a tribe, and we want to be his followers and belong to him and be committed to him. But here's the radical thing about Jesus' tribe is that anyone can get in. There, there, there are not these false barriers that our human tribes create. Everyone is welcome to come into Jesus's tribe. All you have to do is put your faith in him. It doesn't matter your race or your age or your politics. Everybody's welcome to follow Jesus. And, and here's the other radical thing, is that people in Jesus's tribe were taught by him to make sacrifices for those people outside the tribe. So in, in political tribes, we're, we're taught to say, here are the good people and here are the bad people. In Jesus's tribe, we're taught to say, we love everyone and we lay down our life for those outside the tribe. And that's what causes people to, to say, I want to be a part of that tribe. I see how they live and I want to be a part of that. So what we're trying to do is say, hey, let's be a part of Jesus' tribe love everyone, lay down our lives, sacrifice for others, invite other people in. That's the way you leave political tribalism. It's not by just trying to say no. It's finding a better tribe to be a part of. Can I just give you one more example of that? Please. So think about Jesus when he's calling his disciples. He calls uh, Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. Now, Matthew because he's a tax collector, we know he's a person who had turned away from his Jewish people and started working for Rome. And Simon, because we know he's called the zealot, we know that he is one who wanted to overthrow Rome, maybe even by political violence. So here you have Jesus calling people who are, let's say, one supported Trump and one supported AOC, and he called them to both follow him. Now, when, when Simon, and G, and Simon and Matthew started following Jesus, I don't think they agreed on everything. I don't think they just hugged it out. I think they probably had some arguments. I think they probably had some debates over, over uh, uh, the issues that had divided them. But because they were both following Jesus, what they both had to recognize is that both of them could be loyal Jesus followers, and both of them needed to put their politics— about Rome, their politics, their first century politics, underneath the lordship of Jesus. So I think that Jesus is calling people from Team Red and Team Blue, from people of every ethnicity, every race. He's calling them to come follow him and find unity in uh, the gospel and, and, and to leave some of those tribal loyalties uh, that have divided us, to, to leave those behind, or at least to put them in the backseat and not let them be in the front seat anymore. Uh, the conclusion to your book is called Hope for the Future. Uh, Keith, what are you telling us there? Well, look, I'm a recovering tribalist. Back in the early 90s when the 
uh, Republicans gained the control of the United States House of Representatives for the first time in like 40 years. I was watching it. I was in my in my early 20s. I was with a friend watching it in his backyard. And when the Republicans won the House, I ran around the yard uh, screaming, uh, kind of goofing around, but kind of really serious, because I thought that if the Republicans could win, that the world was going to be better and the world was going to be different. And what I came to realize over time as I became a Christian and grew in my faith, but also just watched politics, is that the kingdom of God is not going to come uh, through a political party. The kingdom of God only comes with the king, and that's Jesus. So my heart has changed, and I have developed relationships with people of all different tribes, and I've learned, it's taken a long time, and I still have a lot to go, but I'm learning still to put Jesus first over all those other tribal loyalties. So I guess here's the reason I have hope, is because Jesus is alive, because Jesus changes lives, because Jesus changed my life. So I believe that Jesus can bring the healing and hope that this world needs. I'm not ready to give up. As long as the grave is empty, I'm not going to give up. I don't think Christians are allowed to give up. So I'm, I'm hopeful that as Christians see Jesus for who he really is, put him first, invite others to follow him, that, that Jesus can bring the healing and unity that our world desperately needs. Keith Simon. Keith, I, I'm curious, what's been the initial reaction to your book? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think so far, I mean, we're first-time authors. I wrote this with a guy, a pastor, uh, who works at our church named Patrick Miller, and the two of us, uh, it's our first time to write a book. And so, you know, it takes a little bit to kind of get the word out. But what we've seen is that there's a real deep resonance for it, because most people are not hard right or hard left. Most people are what are being called the exhausted majority, and they're looking for a way out. And uh, what we're trying to give them is that way, a better way uh, to live their life, to experience joy and peace, to replace that with anxiety, or replace anxiety with joy and peace. And I think people are, are looking for something else. I mean, all these people looking for a third party or who are just tired of politics and turning it off, what they really are saying is, isn't there a better way to do this? And I hope that's what our, our book gives people. Well, folks, our guest has been Keith Simon. Truth Over Tribe, that's the name of his book. We've got more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Keith Pat. Keith Simon, our guest in that first segment, uh, talking about his book, Truth Over Tribe. Uh, well, we go from Columbia, Missouri to Spring Hill, Tennessee, right outside of Nashville. And uh, we found John Greco there, uh, author of The Ascent, a devotional adventure through the book of Psalms. Uh, John, it's so nice to meet you, and uh, welcome to Orlando. Oh, thanks so much. It's great to meet you as well. What's the background of this book, John? What brought it about? So this was, uh, I was, it was the summer 2020, and I don't know if you, I don't know if you remember, it was a while back now, but they had this thing called the pandemic, right? Oh, my. So suddenly we were, everyone found themselves working from home, and, and so that was me, and I didn't have a commute anymore, and I said, well, I'm getting up early, and, 
you know, the house is still quiet. I'm going to, I'm going to take some time and spend, take this extra time I have now and spend it in God's word. And, you know, the season was, was kind of stressful and it was full of anxiety. And, and I just, I, I was drawn to the Psalms because I knew, you know, there's just kind of raw emotion. Uh, David and the other psalmists are always crying out to God. Um, and I said, you know, that's something that right now sounds about right. And so I just decided every day I'm going to, I'm going to read through a psalm and reflect on it and spend some time with it. And because I'm a writer, I started jotting down notes. And because I'm a Bible nerd, I started doing a little bit of research on the, as I was going through. I couldn't help myself. I'd, I'd stumble across something funny sounding to me, and I'd say, well, let me go figure out what that's about. Um, and, and then it, from that, those notes became devotionals that I started sharing with folks and eventually turned into this book. Why are we so drawn to the Psalms? What is it about them? Well, I think there's a lot of things. I mean, for me, um, like I said, it was the emotion there, right? I wanted, I wanted to connect with God, but, you know, I didn't, I didn't know, you know, exactly how to say the things I wanted to say. You know, there's sort of this, Psalms kind of give you permission, right? You hear the things David says, and, you know, and you go like, wow, I guess I can be really honest with God. It's a good reminder. Um, but you know the other the thing that kind of surprised me that while while I was you know exploring the Psalms, I didn't expect this honestly because I'm a like I said I'm kind of a Bible geek. I've done a lot of you know um, you know historical cultural kind of study, and so that always brings me to you know narratives. I love the Gospels and Pauline letters and you know historical narratives in the Old Testament. And I kind of thought of the Psalms as well. That's just poetry, right? It's, you know you're not going to dig in there. Um, but the truth is, you know, the Holy Spirit's fingerprints are on every page. And so I found myself flipping back to Genesis and going ahead to Jesus's ministry and into Revelation and then back to the Old Testament stories. And, and I just, the Psalms ended up being sort of this crash course in redemptive history. Um, there's just so much there that drew me, you know, back in time uh, from, from, you know, David and the other Psalmist perspective, and then ahead to the, to the, fulfillments of God's promises in Jesus. And so it was really, you know, kind of an in-depth Bible study that I wasn't expecting. John Greco is our guest. John, I'm going to let you uh, uh, do this because it's uh, your book. Um, (laughs) Pick a devotional adventure out of the book of Psalms that you want to share with us right off the bat. Pick one and explain it to us. Yeah, so kind of, you know, what I was just saying about kind of going back and forth and finding this kind of in-depth, rich um, study, you know, I, I the one that jumps to mind that was kind of the, the one for me that really surprised me um, was in Psalm uh, Psalm 34. So if you're if you're not automatically familiar with the Psalms by their numbers, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little background. So when you get to Psalm 34, it's got this little, um, you know, some of the titles tell you a little bit about the circumstances around its writing. And this one says, uh, of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he left. And so, again, if you're not familiar with that story, you have to flip back to 1 Samuel 21. And uh, in, that, in that passage, David is not yet king. In fact, Saul, the, the king of Israel, is trying to take his life. And so David's on the run, and it, Saul's got guys everywhere. So there's really nowhere in Israel that David thinks he's safe. And so he, he's clever, and he says, well, I can't hide anywhere in Israel. I'm going to leave Israel. And so he goes to the territory of the Philistines, to the city of Gath, which is the hometown, if you recall, of Goliath. 
Uh, so David's got chutzpah, right? He's hiding out from his enemy in the hometown of another enemy that, that he has defeated, and they hate him there. Um, and so he, he knows that if they find out that, that David, the slayer of Goliath, is living among them, he's going to be in trouble. And so he tries to lay low, but eventually the word gets out, and the rumors start to spread that David's here. And so he, he's, again, clever. He says, well, they're not going to – they wouldn't harm somebody who's, who's uh, uh, mentally challenged, who's got some emotional problems. So I'm going to pretend to be insane. And so he starts frothing at the mouth and banging on the doorpost and just acting the part of somebody who's, who's lost their mind. And, of course, there's no honor in killing someone like that, so they let him go, and he escapes. And so this psalm is birthed out of that experience, is thankfulness to God for protecting him in, in enemy territory like that. But when I was reading the psalm, there was this verse that kind of popped out at me. It's just kind of weird. And I'll read it for you. It says, this is uh, verse, verse 19 and 20. It says, the righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. And I thought about that, and I said, but I know people who have broken bones who the Lord loves. And, and if David had, you know, if David had you know, broken a toe on his way out or when he was banging on the doors, if he had you know, uh, hurt his hand, would, would God's uh, deliverance have been any less, um, any less helpful, any less uh, powerful? And I think the answer is no. So I was, you know, I'm, I'm reading that going, well, what's the point about the broken bones? What's what's going on there? And as I dug in, I started, you know, doing, looking at um, comparing different uh, passages for, you know, context about broken bones and unbroken bones. And um, it brought me back to the book of Exodus. If you recall, when, when God rescued his people from Egypt, he told them, you know, I want you to take a lamb and I want you to slaughter the lamb and and spread the blood on the doorframe that will mark your home so that you are one of mine. And I, when, when I pass through Egypt, I, your home will be safe. I will spare your first, the firstborn in that home. And they said to take that lamb and, and eat it as a meal. But don't break any of its bones. And, and the idea you know, in that context was that I'm coming quick. You're not going to have time to break off a lamb shank and take it with you. Don't break <laughs> any of its bones. Just, just you know, eat the meal and be ready to go. Um, but that, that lamb became a symbol of, you know, the, the righteousness that those Israelites did not have, right? He was their substitute, right? Everybody in Egypt was guilty of sin, everybody, not just the Egyptians. And so when God came through, he said, I'm going to, I have to make a provision, a way for my people to be saved. And so that lamb is going to die in their place. That blood is going to mark them as my people, and I will pass over. I will remember that blood has been shed. Well, of course, the lamb doesn't have any salvific properties. The lamb's not a magical lamb, right? That all pointed forward to Jesus. But so David's, you know, when he says, um, talks about the righteous having unbroken bones, the Israelites would have immediately thought of that lamb. They would have said, oh, right, like uh, we could be righteous like that, like, like that lamb who died in our place, spotless, without blemish. Um, and so, again, it points forward to Jesus, and so the Holy Spirit, in inspiring David to write these, these words after his time in Gath, right, is, is pointing all the way forward a thousand years to Jesus. And, of course, when Jesus is on the cross, it says they did not break any of his bones when they came to Jesus. You know, normally when, when people are crucified and it's time to, time to end the show, they break their legs, put them out of their misery, take them down. Uh, or actually, they don't take them down. They let them. They let them rot. But in this case, because it was the the Jewish Sabbath, and they asked for permission, 
But when they got to Jesus, he was already dead. There was no reason to break his bones. And so Jesus, um, just like that lamb, was our sacrifice who died in our place so that we could be saved. None of us are righteous. We need his blood. And so his his bones uh, his bones were unbroken. And then, the, but the thing with, with him is, it's not like that lamb where it's just a symbol. Jesus really did die in our place. His blood really does cover us. And so now we are people of unbroken bones. We are people who stand before God, and when God looks at us, he doesn't see you know, your sins, he doesn't see your mistakes, he doesn't see your failures, he doesn't see all the, the horrible things that, that you may have done. He just sees Christ's righteousness. He sees those unbroken bones. John, now when I read something before, I'm just struck by how powerful that image is. John Greco is the author of The Ascent, a devotional adventure through the book of Psalms. Uh, He's in Spring Hill, Tennessee. We have another segment with John. Stay with us. He'll uh, lead us through another devotional adventure through the book of Psalms. You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. We are chatting with John Greco uh, from Spring Hill, Tennessee, talking about his book, The Ascent, A Devotional Adventure Through the Book of Psalms. John, I love that one you uh, did uh, right before the break. Uh, <clears throat> lead us through another devotional adventure. Uh, I'm eager to hear another one. Yeah, so, you know, I love there's another one that kind of jumps out at me uh, is Psalm 55. Okay. And again, this was one that, you know, as I was reading through, this this wasn't one that I, you know, you know, sometimes you read the Psalms and they're so familiar because we quote them all the time, like Psalm 23. This was one that was kind of new to me, not new to me, I'm sure I've read it before, but but wasn't didn't have that, like, sticking power like some of the other ones. And um but what struck me about it is David again, and we don't quite know the historical setting. We just know that his enemies are, are on the move, and David's upset about it, and he's crying out to God, and he's asking God to intervene on his behalf. Um, and he kind of he goes back to two events in uh, Israelite history in his pleas to God. I'm going to read them to you. He says in verse 9 of Psalm 55, uh, Lord, confuse the wicked, confound their words. For I see violence and strife in the city. Um, if you know your Bible, you know that at Babel, uh, the people, the people in the in the early ancient world, they tried to uh, build a tower, uh, which was a way of uh, returning to Eden. They wanted to uh, make a, make a way to reach the heavens. And so, in, in other words, God had God had kicked them out from from Eden. He had, he had said, "Your home will not be with me anymore." Um, and they said, "Well." You you think so? We're gonna we're gonna build the tower and get back. And uh, so what God did was He confused their language so they couldn't work together anymore. Um, and that's you know the origin of nations, right? If you read Genesis ten and eleven. And so J- David here is appealing to that story. He says, "I want you to do that again. I want you to confuse their language so these enemies can no longer conspire. They can no longer do their wickedness." And then a little while later, he's, he uses another Old Testament um, reference. He says. Let death take my enemies by surprise. This is verse 15. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead, for evil finds lodging among them. 
And so again, if you know your Old Testament, uh, you know that the the the, the realm of the dead, Sheol, as it's called sometimes, um, opened up and swallowed uh, a man named Korah and his relatives and his co-conspirators. These were people who rebelled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and, and God said, we're not having this. And he opened up the ground, and he took them alive into the realm of the dead. And um, it's a powerful image, and David invokes it here. He says, you know, God, this is how bad things are. I need you to do this again. And so as I was reading this psalm, you know, it struck me as I go, I, I can't get my head around the fact that this is what David's asking God to do, and this is no, there are no small things here. And yet, David's called a man after God's own heart. At the same time, I read, like, the words of Jesus, and he's telling me, love my enemies, pray for those who persecute you, those kind of things. And I'm like, how does this square? How does this, how does this really fit with the heart of God? And uh, what what kind of took me through was, on the one hand, David isn't doing those things, right? He's not, he's not going after his enemies personally. He's asking God to. He's putting it in God's hands. Um, and and he's, he's putting it in God's hands in ways that he knows God has dealt with evil in the past. Um, so it's not, these aren't just random requests. He's not just being mean. He's saying, God, I watched you I watched you in, in, in history. I've seen in, in your word how you dealt with people who uh, have, have sown evil in the world. I want you to do it again. I want you to bring righteousness where there is right now where it's lacking. Um, so in that, there's God's heart. There's God's heart for, you know, justice. Um, but then I, I, you know, I go back to Jesus, and I'm like, well, we're supposed to act differently today. I can still bring those things to God, but I'm supposed to pray for my enemies. I'm supposed to love them. And the miraculous thing is, when you get to the New Testament, God sort of answers David's prayers in ways, you know, he didn't expect. You know, it says he wants them to confuse, he wants God to confuse uh, his enemy's language. Well, what happens at Pentecost? Just the opposite, right? He takes the languages that are all gathered there in Jerusalem for Pentecost, and through, through a miracle, uh, the disciples are able to speak in those languages. Those confused languages are, are made clear so they can hear the gospel. He brings in those nations that were formed at Babel, he brings them into the fold so they could be one, one with uh, God's people. And then you get to the book of Revelation, and you see the fulfillment of that, right? People from every tribe, tongue, and, and nation gathered before the throne. This is a beautiful picture, right? So he, that, that, that judgment becomes mercy. And then you look at um, Korah's rebellion and how the, the earth opened up and swallowed these, these uh, wicked men and women whole, and you go, well, where is that in the New Testament? Well, it's the opposite. It's been turned on its head. The ground opens up. The tombs open up so that God's people— can, can come back to life at the end of the age when 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 uh, Jesus returns, right? So the graves will be opened, and, and those who have fallen asleep will will be transformed, and will will be uh, lifted up to to be with Jesus forever. Um, you have a taste of this in the Gospels. In Matthew, it says that when Jesus was crucified, the tombs of the the saints opened up, and they walked around Jerusalem for a few days. Um, you know, and, and but then the fulfillment comes when when Jesus Jesus returns uh, sometime in our hopefully our near future. And so you just have this picture of God taking judgment and turning it around for mercy. And he wants us to see, you know, that's what he does with our hearts, right? He takes a heart like David's who's clamoring for judgment and turns it into a heart that says, God, have mercy. God, bring these people into your fold. Take evil and destroy it, but do so by um, having good overcome it. Um, And I just think it's so powerful. No matter how much, you know, God is righteous. I'm not discounting that. But no matter how much um, 
no matter how much evil we do, his must, his mercy is still greater. And so, yeah, that was another one that kind of just, um, I didn't see it at first, but as I was reading through, again, the, the fingerprints of the Holy Spirit just pointed me to those passages in the New Testament and uh, helped me to see, you know, how uh, his mercy really is greater than, than our desire uh, for him to set things right. John Greco is our guest. We're talking about his book, The Ascent, a devotional adventure through the book of Psalms. Okay, John, you've got us hooked. You've got us hooked. And we're and we're ready for another one. We got time, I think, for one more uh in which you uh just find especially one of your favorites. Okay. Well this is this is one that um I always think is the is kind of the saddest, most tragic of Psalms. Really? Not by David. Yeah, it's by his son Solomon, Psalm one twenty seven. Um and this is one that, you know, has one of those lines that we all know, because you've probably seen it, you know, sewn on a pillow or put on a mug or, you know, spoken at a groundbreaking ceremony for a, a new church building. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watching in vain. So I say this is the most tragic psalm, because if you know anything about Solomon's life, God did build him a house. He built him a dynasty. Now, David had had uh, been a good king, but he had blood on his hands. And so God said, I'm not going to let you build my temple. Your son Solomon's going to do it. And so when Solomon became king early on in his reign, uh, God uh, God appeared to him and spoke to him and said, you know, I'm, I'm going to bless you. What do you want? What do you want from me? And Solomon, uh, you know, having watched his father very, you know, very wisely said, I want more wisdom. I want to be wise. And God said, okay, I'm going to give you that wisdom, because that is a, that is a noble and wise thing to ask for. Um, but I'm also going to give you the riches. I'm going to give you the peace. I'm going to give you all the other things that, that, that other kings might have asked for. And so Solomon's reign is blessed, and he knows it comes directly from the hand of God. Unless the Lord builds a house, the, the builders labor in vain. And so he, he should know this. This should be, you know, kind of his his uh, his you know, if, if for lack of a better, the slogan for his for his reign, because if anybody had any doubts, you know, could have any doubts about where their prosperity and their uh, the good things in their life came from, you know, it wasn't Solomon. He knew. Um, and yet the Bible tells us that, you know, later in his reign, his heart was turned away from God. He married, you know, numerous women and hundreds of women, had hundreds of concubines, and they turned his heart away. Uh, from the Lord, and he and he chased after idols, and he you know did all these horrible, despicable things. He led the nation in sin, and so you know it just breaks my heart that this that this this is still you know he wrote these words, and yet he didn't follow them. He didn't he didn't believe them fully at the end of his reign. Um, but then for us, you know, there's a second verse here. If you follow up after that first verse, it says, "In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for good food for food to eat." For he grants sleep to those he loves. And I just think about that and I say, you know, if, if you can rest in the fact that God really is the one building your life, that he is building your house, you do get to sleep. Sleep is one of those gifts that, like, you know, it doesn't matter how wealthy you are, it doesn't matter how poor you are, we all get to sleep. We all need rest. And so we all get those wonderful, you know, eight hours, hopefully, every night. And, it, and, and God, that's a gift from God. And it's because he built that house. And so when we put our trust in him, Solomon failed to do. That's the gift, that peace, that sleep, that rest. And so that's that's what I want. I read the psalm now and I say, yes, Lord, help me to see your hand in my life. Even when things aren't going well, help me to know that 
ultimately you are in charge. You can bring good from evil. You can bring uh, peace from chaos. And so I'm trusting you. And in that, I'm going to sleep. I'm going to rest because I know that it is you who's building my house. My guest is uh, John Greco, uh, the book, The Ascent. And John, we're at the four minute mark. We've got time for one more. Uh, All right. Pull it out and share with it. I'm, I'm loving this. Well, let's just do something real short then, and it's kind of a psalm that everybody knows, Psalm 23. Okay. So this this was one that, again, I came to, and it was you know, so familiar. And, you know, I memorized this, obviously, you know, like a lot of people do. I think in, in French class in high school, I memorized it in French. So, I, I, you know, I knew this I knew this very well. But as I was reading it this time, the thing that struck me, when you think about a shepherd, right, you see these pastoral scenes of shepherds out in the field, it's, you know— Unless someone's depicting Jesus going after the one, right? It's always a shepherd with lots of sheep, right? Because that's that's what you hire a shepherd for. You need someone to watch a whole flock of sheep. And yet when you read Psalm 23, it's personal, right? The Lord is my shepherd, not our shepherd, my shepherd. Mm. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. This relationship between the sheep and the shepherd is so very personal. And that doesn't mean there aren't sheep, you know, there aren't other sheep. It's not that God loves you alone, me alone individually, but it's how he loves us. He loves us as if we were the only person in the world. It's so personal. He knows he knows the, the thoughts inside our head, he knows the desires in our heart, he knows all the hairs on our head, he knows everything about us. He knows us so intimately and that's how he loves us. As unique as we are, he loves us just as uniquely. And so I, I was just struck by that as I read this, and I said, you know, this is, you know, writing a thousand years before Jesus, this is the good shepherd, right? He goes after, goes after the one sheep, leaves the 99 go after the one. Uh, this is the good shepherd who cares for us and lays down his life for us. And so, you know, I was just struck by the power in those, that simple, those simple things, a few, you know, pronouns that just, um, you know, and, and David, when he's writing this, right, it's very personal for him. But you know, there's a sense, as you read the Psalms, that he's writing this for Israel, right? And so he could have very easily said, the Lord is our shepherd, the Lord you know, leads us, and all that stuff. But he doesn't do that. He, he is so, you know, his heart is so connected to God that he knows that, that God's love for him is personal. And so he wants us to know that as well. And so I love that. Now I can't read the Psalm the same way again. What do you want people to take from uh, your book, John? Well, honestly, I just hope they get in the book of Psalms. I mean, my, my words are there to hopefully guide their thinking and help them to kind of find some cool little nuggets here and there. But honestly, my heart beats for people to get into God's Word and to grow in their understanding of the story of redemption. Um, and so that's kind of what this, this book, you know, a lot of people say, you know, when the, especially when the New Year rolls around, they say, I want to I wanna read through the Bible. And that's wonderful. But if you're not going to read through the whole Bible, you know, start here. Read through a book of the Bible. And this is a great one, because like I said, it's going to draw you back into the beginning. It's going to take you into Jesus' ministry. It's going to show you kind of a big-picture view of what God is doing in this world to rescue sinners. John, who was Asaph? Uh, it's a good question. We don't really know. Um, you know, there's a lot of speculation, but he's uh, likely a you know somebody who worked closely with, uh, with the temple and the priesthood. Um, you know, unfortunately, there's a few folks like that we get in here. Um, we get the sons of Korah. We get... Um, Haman, we get people like that, and we don't know a lot about them. And so, you know, we just have to trust that when we get to those those passages that, you know, what we do have is sufficient. Uh, God doesn't always give us the answers to every question we'd like to have when we come to do our Bible study, 
but he gives us the, an- the answers to the questions we need to ha- we need to have. And so, um, yeah. My guest <clears throat> has been John Greco, the book, The Ascent, a devotional adventure through the book of Psalms. And folks, just a quick note here. My latest book is out. It's called uh, Every Day is Game Day. It's a 365-page a, a day a devotional uh, with a sports theme uh, with every one of them, and then it leads into the devotional part. So when you go up to Amazon to order John Greco's book, The Ascent, make sure you get a copy of Every Day is Game Day. Well, we've got a wrap-up after this, folks, right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. Now, here's Pat. Folks, I'm so pleased you joined us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We've had a good hour with uh, Keith Simon uh, from Columbia, Missouri, talking about his book, Truth over tribe, pledging allegiance to the lamb, not the donkey or the elephant. And then John Greco in the suburbs of Nashville uh, spoke with us about his book, The Ascent, a devotional adventure through the book of Psalms. Uh, Folks, I just want to remind you, we're uh, working hard trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando and uh, we need your help. Go up to the website, orlandodreamers.com, orlandodreamers.com, and uh, we need to hear from you. Just tell us your thoughts, your feelings. You like this idea? Uh, is Orlando ready to be a Major League Baseball city? We think so, but uh, we need to hear from you, orlandodreamers.com. We'll see you next weekend, folks, on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay tuned all day long to AM 990. FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Have a great week ahead. God bless. We'll see you next weekend. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time, where faith comes by hearing. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.